Next on ReachMD, Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from medical professionals on the front lines of healthcare. Now here's the host of Voices from American Medicine, Frank Russomano. Hello, you're watching Voices from American Medicine. I'm Frank Russomano, your host. Today we're going to be talking about the Sunshine Act. I'm with uh, Tom Sullivan and Andrew Rosenberg, and we're broadcasting today from the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. Andrew, would you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I am uh, the senior advisor for an organization called the CME Coalition, which is a stakeholder uh, organization in Washington, D.C., that is comprised of about 30, 32 um, organizations uh, that are uh, in the CME, the accredited CME ecosystem, everything from organizations like Tom's organization that educate folks on CME uh, to, uh, to organizations that put on CME programs uh, to uh, organizations that support CME, such as pharmaceutical companies, uh, as well as educational and physician organizations. And what we exist in Washington, D.C. to do is to really fly the flag of CME to make sure that policymakers understand the value that continuing medical education provides to doctors and to our healthcare system, uh, and to make sure that they understand uh, the rules that are in place to ensure that accredited CME is protected from bias uh, and that it is science-based and evidence-based, and it's really the gold standard of physician education. Great. Thank you. Tom? So I have a medical education company, Rockpoint, where we do accredited CME courses for doctors, but we also have a publication called Policy and Medicine or PolicyMed.com where we try to cover the main issues uh, around uh, physician reimbursement, um, around uh, what companies are allowed to do uh, with, with monies, how to, keep, keep, uh, how to keep safe, and then also issues around CME. Great. Thanks. Um, we're going to talk about the Sunshine Act today, and maybe, Andrew, you could start by, by telling us uh, what it is and, and what the latest is in the Sunshine Act. Sure. Well, uh, Frank, as I'm sure most of your viewers are well aware, the Physician Sunshine Payment Act was passed as part of the Affordable Care Act a couple of years ago. And effectively, what it is, it's a provision that is intended to bring transparency to payments that, that uh, transfers of payments between mm-hmm. pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, uh, and doctors and GPOs and teaching hospitals um, that others that were sort of considered in this category of, of covered entities. But mostly we should focus on doctors because it was really intended to create a national database that would be available to the public um, such that patients could track to see whether or not their physicians were receiving payments in any regard from from pharmaceutical and med device mm-hmm. companies. In the original act, uh, it was pretty clear that it was not intended to capture, for reporting purposes, uh, CME-related payments. That's to say, um, payments that are independent of any sort of direction from a commercial supporter or pharma company to a doctor. So, for example, when a physician goes to or speaks at an accredited CME event, um, it might be underwritten by, in part, a pharmaceutical company or medical device company, but a company that provides, under accredited rules, a, uh, an independent fund, an independent uh, grant, um, but exercises no control or influence over the curriculum or the selection of speakers or the selection of attendees. That's the definition of independent education. Right. And in those circumstances, 
the commercial supporter does not have any relationship with the speaker or with the attendees, and the assumption is, and was under that original act, the way the act was written, um, that therefore there's no reporting that takes place, because if a commercial supporter isn't actually, you know, uh, instructing that the money go to a particular doctor or doesn't have any involvement in making that happen, then there's nothing to report. Right. So over time, though, um, and, and Tom and others in the CME Coalition have been part of an ongoing dialogue, if you will, with the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS, um, that is responsible for implementing uh, this provision. Uh, there's been some guidance that has sort of been less than super clear, I'll put it that way, um, over the last five years or so. We believe, however, right now that we're in a pretty solid place with CME and the way CME related payments are to be treated under the law. And that is that commercial supporters um, are not required to collect information on speakers um, or faculty. Uh, then they're not expected to report to the, this open payment system, which is this online database, uh, of the sort of eventual recipients of their grants, so long as they are not instructing, directing, or causing the money to flow to a particular doctor. So if, for example, a company were to underwrite an activity and say with some specificity, either we want or it's our expectation that Dr. Jones will attend or participate or speak, then that would be something that would be reportable. And by the way, that's something that's not generally acceptable under the rules of accreditation. But so long as a commercial supporter provides an independent grant to a third party, whether it be a company like the one Tom is with, or whether it be a, an association like the AMA or the Association of Black Cardiologists or some organization that puts on an, a CME event, and they have no influence over the curriculum or the choices speakers or, 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 or attendees, then a reportable um, transfer payment never happens. The, the pharmaceutical company doesn't have to report because it doesn't necessarily know who received ultimately its funds. And this is really important to doctors to understand because um, um, they ultimately are the ones that are going to see their names in a database if they're being reported for participating in an event or some program where there is direct payment from a, from a pharmaceutical right. company. Right. Thank you. Tom, why should CME organizations be exempt from the uh, well, rule? Well, first of all, CME, accredited CME, separate of any kind of promotional or education programs, but accredited continuing medical education has serious firewalls that are set up to prevent influence from companies telling what kind of content they can have. They, they're not allowed to dictate what speakers you have. So basically they're supporting this activity to kind of in, enhance the, the, the science in that area. Um, so that physicians, for instance, when immunotherapy came out in oncology, it was really important that doctors had an eye, some kind of base knowledge of what immunotherapy is so their patients would be able to benefit from that. I mean, it didn't have to be specific to immunotherapy. It's just how does immunotherapy work? Why is it important? Right. And I, I think it's too much is left behind of uh, doctors are so, it's such an interrelated uh, field. It's, it's, there's so many advances coming out through manufacturers that it's really important for for both sides to be able to hear one another out in an open forum without um, without any undue influence from somebody trying to push something on them, but it's an open forum where they can right. hear about what, what is happening in their field. And, you know, if companies want to support it, that's great. If others want to support it, that's fine. Um, so in that respect, I don't, you know, there's a real reason that you want to keep it separate. No doctor, as Andy said, wants to go to, to do an independent event 
where, where the company had nothing to say about the content speakers, and then all of a sudden now they're being told they have some kind of relationship in the database that makes them look like, hey, oh, that guy was actually a shill for that company. You know, clearly he had no real relationship with them. Uh, I'm not sure why uh, folks are wanting to bring that uh, wanting to bring that about. It just doesn't make any practical sense. Um, well, if I could add, if I could add a point, uh, Tom and, and, and Frank, to, to what Tom was saying, CMS in its most recent guidance that is sort of on the books made it clear that there is no such thing as a CME exemption, meaning that just because something is considered CME, it doesn't mean it's not reportable. What they did say, however, is as we were discussing, indirect payments that are independent, again, where there's no control by the commercial supporter, they are not reportable. Right. Most CME-related payments are going to fit into that category of, indirect, of independent um, indirect payments, so to speak. But where there's been some confusion, and this is an issue for doctors to understand because they are going to want to ask questions before they participate in an event of the event sponsors and the event organizers, and that is um, there are some companies, there's sort of a patchwork of, of, of companies out there that are interpreting this a little bit, bit differently mm -hmm. from each other. And while What we, type of companies? Well, some of the, yeah. So all the reporting is done by pharmaceutical or med, or med device companies. Right. So those are the ones that we're worried about because those are the companies ultimately that have to decide what to report or what not to report. So... What CMS did was they came out with their most recent rule, and the most recent rule and guidance said there's no such thing as a CME exemption, meaning just because something's called CME, that doesn't mean it's automatically not reportable. However, as I said, these indirect, independent payments are not reportable, most of which are the same thing as accredited CME payments. Most However, CME organizations see themselves as, by definition, independent, and therefore perceive that they, the reporting is not required. Well, and the, right, and the programs that they put on are independent, right. and therefore that they would not meet the That's definition right. of yep. a reportable payment. Exactly. Um, un unfortunately, there's been some confusion out there, and it's something that our coalition is actively engaging with policymakers. We were up on Capitol Hill today about this. We plan on meeting with CMS shortly about this. Um, because there are some out there that, um, that think that because there is no explicit CME exemption, that means that CME is reportable. Right. CME is not reportable when it does not meet the definition of a reportable payment, if that right. makes sense to you. That makes sense. But there are some that read the headline and that read the headline that says that the CME, ex that there is no explicit exemption for just CME, and therefore they're saying, therefore we have to report CME. Right. So part of what our role is, is to try to educate, and we're, and we're trying to drive greater clarity out of the government. Right. I think CMS has tried hard to to sort of come up with a sensible approach to this, a sensible definition. For whatever reason, they did not want to rely on accredited CME as being just the sort of shorthand for non-reportable. They weren't comfortable, CMS was not comfortable going that route. So instead, they've come up with this other sort of configuration where they're looking at whether or not a payment was controlled or instructed or directed, right. et cetera. Um, Unfortunately, that's caused some confusion, um, and one of the things that we're really trying hard to do is to get some more clarity out of, out of the federal government so that everybody's on the same page, everybody's interpreting it the same way, and that when doctors participate in a CME event, they understand the rules, no matter what commercial supporter is underwriting it. Right. One thing I will say, though, that, that everybody, and Tom and I were talking about this right before we went on, on air, is that for most doctors who don't speak at events but attend events, 
for them, there's there's really unanimous um, um, interpretation that attendees who attend an event that might have some commercial support are not to be reported for, for right. this open. So the vast majority of doctors who are participating in CME are not in any way affected and not part mm -hmm. of any of the confusion, but potentially the doctors who our speakers might be concerned about the interpretation of the of the act. That's where the bigger challenge is. Right. Yeah. Yes, Tom. What are you hearing from the pharma companies? What, what's their interpretation? So most it kind of most pharma companies are coming out and saying we don't see this as a reportable event um, because of because we're not instructing, we're not directing, we're not otherwise causing this to happen. Um, there are some companies that have very uh, conservative um, legal departments that are. Um, that are saying, you know, we just need to, re if the government even hints that they need something, we're just going to give it to them. And, and so some companies are collecting that information. It's not clear if they're actually going to report it, but at least we understand that there are some companies that are collecting information with the intent to report the information to the government. Um, so I think you as a, if someone is a faculty member, they just need to be aware that of, of companies, if they are planning on doing this, that this could happen and that, you know, there's a, you know, and that this could show up. The other thing that faculty need to remember is that when they when they present now at the next meeting, they have to they have to then disclose that they that they received a CME that they received a CME payment for this because otherwise it'd be count. Someone would say, "Oh, they didn't just just like you saw this with uh, Senator uh, Cruz, who forgot to report uh, a loan that he had made in one of his reports, even though it was a loan against his own assets." You know, they'll he'll say, "Oh, you didn't report it." So I think it's important that that people don't get caught in this kind of catch-22 and that they have to disclose that at the next CME event. Otherwise, right. they'll, they'll be, oh, they're hiding something, which really they're not because they're not getting any relationship. You know, they're not doing anything for the company. They don't know about this company. Most of the time, they don't have any relationship whatsoever with them. And now you're basically establishing a relationship that didn't exist before, uh, which could make for very kind of a circular, uh, you know, almost a circular system of, of uh, you know, what's a relationship, what's not a relationship. Right. Andrew, anything else? Well, I would just say that, uh, you know, this is a, a, a real challenge because there are some people in Washington that believe that transparency is always a good thing and that the more transparency, the better. Um, and one of the things that, that we are sort of fighting uphill to sort of convince some policymakers is that in this case, when transparency means that a, that a pharmaceutical company is supposed to report an independent payment as though it was not an independent payment, but as though they actually had a relationship with the eventual recipient of the payment, that in that case, transparency is actually misleading. And transparency can create a relationship between pharma and between uh, academics and faculty that we don't want. That's not good for our healthcare system. That's not good ultimately for patients. Um, but, but the other thing that we need to convince people about is that um, for the 11 or 12 percent of of CME funding that comes from commercial supporters, um, that that is important, an important source of funding for a very important thing, and that is independent medical research or, or medical education. And that uh, pharmaceutical companies um, that are not always in the, seen in the best of light in, in today and that uh, in some regards um, have a challenging reputation right now, um, that most of them invest in CME uh, because they think it's the right thing to do and that they are companies that really care about finding cures and saving lives 
in areas of, uh, of therapeutic focus for them. And so for them to support uh, physician education in those fields uh, should not necessarily be seen, should not at all be seen as a nefarious exercise, but one that I think we would want most corporate citizens to engage in. All right. Thank you. I want to shift gears just for a little bit, Tom, and maybe you can help. I think um, perhaps many of the, uh, of the uh, physicians may not understand what it means when a pharmaceutical company supports CME. And so the Sunshine Laws really talk about pharma, money, and, and, and who they're influencing and, and making sure that we're reporting that. Can you talk a little bit about how support happens, what pharma's control is over the event how those dollars are spent, and, and what the control of the CME provider is. Sure. So typically what happens is, is that uh, CME providers will fill out app, what's, uh, what's called grant applications to receive grants, just like you would if you were going for an NIH grant or a, a grant from any government agency. It's a very similar process in that respect. So companies or uh, universities or CME, any CME provider will fill out a, a grant application, during their grant application process, they'll do a needs assessment to see, is this a relevant topic? Is this something that's important? Is this, is this an area that whatever we're going to talk about, is this something that, me, that was going to change the way practice happens? So they do a needs assessment. Is this important? Is this an important topic? And then they submit their grant. The company then comes back with a, what's called a letter of agreement where both parties sign it. And it's just basically a letter that says that you said you would deliver this, you know, this program and you're going to do that just so that, so that it keeps people honest about, you know, that they're not going to do something that they said they weren't going to do. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm going to give you support, any organization, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has the same kind of rules that they want to know what exactly is going to happen. From there, what's interesting, the difference between a government grant or a foundation grant and a pharmaceutical grant is at that point, on the, phar- on the pharmaceutical device grant or a, a manufacturer grant is those is the manufacturer leaves the, he basically walks off the stage you don't really hear from him again right? right you just he gives you the money and it's up to you to figure it out get it done you know do the speaker so that's just, get just the to program. be clear about the the the, uh, the pharma manufacturers they're not picking the location they're not picking they're not. the location they're not doing the, they're not picking the speakers they're not suggesting speakers they're not suggesting locations they're, they have nothing to do with the events whatsoever and the grant money doesn't go directly and to the, the speakers and the grant or? money does not go directly to speakers it goes to the it goes to the foundation or to the uh, accredited provider and then the accredited provider uh, Axel is like a general contractor where he 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 hires out different laborers and you know, kind of bills right. and, and kind of bills it out. But the difference between that, a general contractor and a CME provider is it's as if you gave someone money and you never looked at your house until it was right. finished, and then you're just like, oh, there's your house. And uh, in this case, they never see any, they don't even get to see the house for the most part, right? They don't even go to the programs. They're not at these, you know, and, and you know, what's funny is some of the criticism on CME has been it's in the plus location. So we pulled some of the locations that we do CME at, and it's, you know, like Morrisville, Mississippi, and and uh, and and Savannah, Georgia, and you know, uh, you know, like these kind of or or West Virginia places. It's really out of the way rural. A lot of them are in out of the way rural right. areas where it's very difficult for physicians to get education. And we're helping to bring in, you know, top name, you know, good quality speakers into these locations where these physicians would never hear from right. this information. That's great. Thank you for clarifying that. Appreciate you guys being on. I want to thank our guests, Tom Sullivan and Andrew Rosenberg. 
Uh, this has been very informative, and I, we really appreciate it. Okay, thank, thank you. This has been Voices from American Medicine. I'm Frank Rosimano. For more on this series and much more, go to ReachMD.com. You've been listening to Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from medical professionals on the front lines of healthcare. Voices from American Medicine is hosted by Frank Rusamano. And to access this program and others in this series, please visit us at reachmd.com forward slash voices.